0: Welcome to the Grace Life Fellowship podcast. Last week, Pastor Tim kicked off our Christmas series, The Gift of Christmas, with his message, Jesus, our hope. This past Sunday at Grace Life Fellowship, Pastor Frank continued the series with his message, Jesus, our peace. We hope you enjoy it. Here's Pastor Frank. gift of Christmas, Jesus, our peace. Peace. You know, we talk about it a lot. We sing about it. We long for it, pursuing it diligently. But it seems to me that very few people are actually able to lay hold of it. It seems very elusive for far too many of us. Because I have Contemplating that, I thought it would be a good idea to uh, establish a definition first that we could then build on. So what did I do? Went to Wikipedia, of course. And this is what I found, a definition of peace. Peace is a concept of societal friendship and harmony in the absence of hostility and violence. In a social sense, peace is commonly used to mean a lack of conflict, such as war, and freedom from fear of violence between individuals or groups. Throughout history, leaders have used peacemaking and diplomacy to establish a certain type of behavioral restraint that has resulted in the establishment of regional peace or economic growth through various forms of agreements or peace treaties. Such behavioral restraint has often resulted in the reduction of conflict, greater economic interactivity, and consequently substantial prosperity, psychological peace such as peaceful thinking and emotions, is perhaps well less defined, yet often a necessary precursor to establishing behavioral peace. Peaceful behavior sometimes results from a peaceful inner disposition. Some have expressed the belief that peace can be initiated with a certain quality of inner tranquility that does not depend upon the certainties of daily life for its existence. The acquisition of such a peaceful internal disposition for oneself and others can contribute to resolving of otherwise seemingly irreconcilable competing differences. Hmm. I I don't know about you, but when I hear a lot of verbiage like that, my brain just tends to tune people out. My brain's not wired for complexity like that. Some people are, and I thank God for them, but it just doesn't touch my buttons. So what I did is I decided to do it the old-fashioned way. I found what's called a hardcover dictionary, which is something you could find in what used to be known as a library. And I opened it up and I found some very simplistic definitions. Peace. And the first word I found was tranquility. Harmony. Restfulness, free from disturbance, the absence of hostility, the state of being calm. When I heard those words in my heart of hearts, I instantly connected to them. Tranquility, harmony. Calm. They they resonated to me almost as if there was a a voice inside that was saying, yes, that is what I was made for. Maybe it's best summed up by that great modern theologian, Frank Costanza from Seinfeld. Serenity now. (laughs) Right? Serenity now. It's what we were made for. You know, I believe if we look at the early pages of Genesis, my friends, we can affirm that. When you read those first few chapters of Genesis, it's it's almost striking to see the complete absence of any conflict, disharmony, division, or dissension. Now, some people would argue from that, well, you know, it's an argument from silence, but not really. There are clues in every one of those early chapters, to tell us that this was normality for that garden. I think of in the very first chapter when God looked at what he had made and he said these things were good. Is that what he said? No, well, he said, very good. You move on into the second chapter and, and you find the man and the woman together and they are defined as naked and unshamed. We need to own the emphasis that that negative prefix has. Unashamed. What does that mean? It means there was no shame. There was no sense of being wrong. No sense of being defected in any way. Also, the word naked. Not an insignificant word. All was known, all was seen, and all was right between them because all was right in them. God had breathed his very own life into them. They possessed life from God, experienced that life, and expressed that life in an existence of harmony and kindness. And gentleness. I would dare say that it wouldn't be wrong for us to imagine them since 2 Corinthians 4 says we're earthen vessels filled with the treasure of God that simply means clay pots or cups uh, it's not hard for me to imagine those two under the faucet of God with no handle to turn him off and he fills them so completely full that it overflows and spills out onto the other This was the life they lived. In the third chapter, it tells us that they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. And I think, if we're honest, the manner in which that event is expressed gives the implication that this was normality. It didn't catch them by surprise. It was familiar, expected, and recognizable. For those of us who were birthed into an economy of religion where there are prerequisites and and qualifiers before we can enter into relationship with God, this is a completely foreign concept. One of my good friends, Juan Carlos Ortiz, wrote a great book called Living with Jesus Today. It's out of print, but you can find it on Amazon. Grab it. It's a great read. He's got a brilliant mind, but he writes in about a third grade English. I really like him. (laughs) One of the chapters is, save your protocol for the president. No protocol with God. He said, we get the idea from our religious backgrounds that when Adam and Eve came walking in the garden, Adam was there working and Eve was cooking and Adam's... Eve, I hear God coming. Quick, get on the organ. Start playing all hail the power. (laughs) And Juan, in his simplicity, says, that's not how I read the pages of Genesis. It's foreign to the pages of Genesis. There was intimacy that came from the love and the acceptance that was shared between all of them. And so Juan suggested it was more like, hey, Eve, you're cooking dinner? What's cooking today? Vegetable soup. It's really good, Lord. Would you like to try some? Sure, Eve, that would be great. Hard for us to think like that. In the garden, life was was lived in the sphere of God. They had already received from the hand of God. And all that they had received was very, very good. Peace reigned in the Garden of Eden. Harmony was experienced in the Garden of Eden. There was incredible intimacy between them and between them and their God. And I would suggest between them and the world around them, the biological world and the animals. No fear. There's no hint of fear. There's no sense of loss or struggle or enmity to be found on those early pages. And and I don't know. I really don't know if any of us in this modern world can ever begin to grasp what that was like. We're so far removed from it. The world we're birthed into is nothing like that. And many of us from all too early an age experience rejection and loss and hurt in ways that we were never designed to. Maybe that prophecy of Isaiah could help us. It's incredible. It's chapter 11. Isaiah prophesies concerning the coming restoration of what was. And and I think because he's talking about restoration back to what it was, that it would suit our purpose today, instead of letting it read as a future that God is going to restore, to read it as a present for how it was in that original garden. Does that make sense? I agree. Thank you for the vote of affirmation. The rest of you could have simply said, amen. Past tense, Isaiah eleven. The wolf lies down with the lamb. The leopard and the and the baby goat and the calf and the lion and, and the yearling. They all lie down together. This this world, if I could interject into it, is so safe that a little kid can lead them. The cow and the bear. They graze together. The lion eats straw right next to the oxen. And a little baby, that's what the Hebrew word means. A little baby plays by the hole of the cobra. And a toddler puts his hand in the den of the viper. They don't hurt. They don't destroy. For, there's the key word, the basis, the reason, the cause of this harmony and peace. Listen to the language. The earth is full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. The entire world, if you will, drew breath from God, and because God is revealed in both Old and New Testaments as the God of peace, the entire world experienced the peace of God. Incredible. Then, in an instant, it was gone. I continue to meditate on this the last 40 years and it it, it still just boggles my brain. To to be living in this this glorious life existence full of peace and love and, and fullness, somehow man gets tempted to try to find life in other than God. I, I don't understand that. I come close to understanding it when in my own life and I'm experiencing God, and yet in the midst of experiencing God, I can in an instant choose other than God too. Are, are, are you aware of doing that in your own life? And what does the church say? He sinned. He sinned. You know, in my church experience, that's most of how the responses have been when someone has sinned. I don't know what your experience is like, but in my experience, we concentrated on the event. Look what he did. How horrible. I don't think that's the response we want to have. Look, I'm a dad, and I had four kids. And they didn't always do it right. And when they disobeyed, my response was not to sit them down and shame them and guilt them with how dare you transgress against the almighty me. It wasn't my heart. Oh, I wasn't happy that they didn't obey. But I had a much greater issue inside of me. It was the consequences of what they were going to have to experience because they disobeyed. That was the greater issue. And my suggestion to you is we didn't come up with that ourselves, we got that from God. He's not horrified, I don't believe, that we sinned against Him. I think what puts horror in his heart is when he looks at this creation that was designed for love and peace and intimacy is now going to have to forfeit that and live in disharmony and disillusionment and frustration and loss and sorrow. He lost peace, man. He lost peace. He lost security. He lost his innocence. He lost his identity, his significant purpose. As one made in the image of God, he lost his sense of worth and value. He lost peace with God, but not only did he lose peace with God, he lost peace with his bride. He lost peace with the world around him. And enmity now reigns. You know, I I meditate on that. I can't even begin to imagine the horror. Maybe it's better to say the sheer terror of having for the first time in your life to feel fear. See, you and I were birthed into a world of fear. We know what it's like from this high. We were birthed into a world of hostility and anxiety and pressure. But Adam wasn't. He never felt it before he never felt anxiety he must have rocked him to the core of his being what did that little couple do it was the first thing they did when that instant came into their lives they put on fig leaves And they hid from each other. And mankind's been hiding ever since. We put up a facade and we wear a mask. How tragic. We went from naked and unashamed to I can't let you know the real me because if you knew the real me, you wouldn't like me. And I know that because I don't even like me. And then here comes God. We already said this was familiarity. This was norm. But this time it's different. We've got to hide from him. Why? Because I just know he won't like me either. You know what just happened in that garden? Insanity entered into the realm of humanity. Insanity? Oh, Frank, that's so strong. No, it's so right. Insanity is defined as mentally deranged or extremely irrational. He's afraid of God. I want you to think about that. He's afraid of the one who Psalm 119 says is good and does only good. Why would you run from him? It's insane. He's the one who is peace. You're not experiencing peace, run to the one who can give it. Don't run away from him. You're running from the one who in Luke six forty-five, it tells us of him, he is kind to the unfaithful. That's one of the best verses I've ever read. <laughs> because we think his kindness is going to be based on our faithfulness. And if that's true, we're blank out of luck. We're running from the one who in Exodus 34 says his name to us. The Lord, the Lord God, the one who is strong, the one who can make things right, the one who can fix things, the strong one. But he's not just strong. Strength can be terrifying if that's all there is. So he quickly adds that this is a strength tempered with mercy and love and compassion and forgiveness to thousands. It's a strength that will produce and restore peace and harmony. But you gotta run to him. You run away from him, you're never gonna find it because peace is only gonna be found in the God of peace. And so by choosing this sin, he separated himself from God and he forfeited the peace of God, the peace from God. And so now he's not safe anymore. And because he's not safe and she's not safe, relationships aren't safe. And the world we live in is no longer safe. And so the, very, the garden very quickly turns into a jungle. Instant enmity. It's probably the best way I could describe it. You've read it, haven't you? What have you done, Adam? Come on, son, come out of the bushes. Talk to me. What have you done? The woman he blames her. And then in his arrogant pride, he blames God. It's your fault. You gave her to me. And you know, when I read those pages, I, I can't make sense of it. What's strange to me is she lets him get away with it. Why doesn't she say, wait a minute, buddy. She doesn't do that. And so on these pages, if you'll just meditate on them a little bit, we begin to see the control, the manipulation, the fear, the masks, the insecurities, and all of this that begins to come into play immediately. I mean, this was just bone of my bones. (laughs) This, This was flesh of my flesh. I'm ish. Man, and when I saw her, she's like me, but she's not like me, and I'm really glad she's not like me. She's Ish-ah. My Lord, my lady, prince and princess of creation, And now it's the blame game. And shame and guilt and conflict and dissension and disharmony. And instantly on the pages, it spreads to the family. One son rages against God, turns that rage into rage against his brother and kills him. And it spreads from the family to the extended family. And you read that the 11 brothers sell their brother into slavery just because they're jealous. And you continue to read, it spreads to the nations. And now there's war, and there's murder, and there's death, and conflict, and conflict reigns. I would put it this way. The peace that was has disintegrated into the disharmony that is. You know, there's a phrase we find in multiple places in both Old and New Testaments. It's a powerful phrase. Isaiah used it, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. It found its way into the secular world. Patrick Henry used it in his give me liberty or give me death speech. It's come to be called the restoration plea of man. Peace. but there is no peace we want it we work for it we strive for it cannot attain it by ourselves now, as i searched out this issue of pursuing peace i found no small amount of people who believe that we can accomplish peace in and of ourselves it's our responsibility Ramona Anderson said these words, people spend a lifetime searching for happiness and looking for peace. They chase idle dreams, addictions, religions, other people, hoping to fill the emptiness that plagues them. The irony is the only place they ever needed to search was within. Oh, Really? Buddha Gandhi said the same thing. Peace comes from within. Do not seek it without. Emerson said, nobody can bring peace but yourself. As I continued to search, I found others. And again, there were many of them who believed that government is the means by which we achieve peace. I would not want to argue with this man. I, I you know... Choose the hill you die on, pick your battles. I would not want to argue with this man, but I think in this case I'd have to. Albert Einstein said this Peace is not merely the absence of war, but the presence of justice, law, and order. In short, the government. So government is that which can bring us peace. You ever study history? Treaty after treaty after treaty, League of Nations. What what do we got now? We got NATO, we've we've got United Nations And, and war and death reigns all over the world. You know, I continue to study the book of Revelation and I do intend to teach it one day I'm not ready yet. In my studies thus far, I've come to a somewhat firm conclusion in my heart that the beast of the book of Revelation is government. We were not designed to be governed by any man. We were designed to be governed by God alone. Government has only come about because of the total loss of life with God and the flesh of man has to be restrained in order to provide some semblance of safety in the community. There will be no peace until man returns to God because God alone is the source Of peace. And he has provided the way for us to find that peace by sending his son. Though man may not seek God, Romans 3 tells us, God seeks man. I love Ezekiel. God says, I'm not willing, it's not my heart, it's not my desire that anyone would ever perish. I love John 6. And I just feel so, I don't know, sad about all my Reformed theology friends who miss this. It says in John 6, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father draws him. And so they build a theology around that without reading John, where in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So he doesn't just set his heart on the few and choose them and draw them so they come to faith. It's unbiblical. It's not just unbiblical, my friends. It's a huge distortion of the character of God. He draws all men to himself. Instantly in the garden, this is what he did. They're covering themselves with these stupid fig leaves. I would not be caught dead in fig leaves. (laughs) I'm sorry, I might have given you a visual right now and I've lost you for the rest of the morning. (laughs) Let's just take those things off. What's the thought behind that? You can't make this right. You can't do this by yourself. You can't make peace happen. You can't make yourself right because you can't deal with the sin issue. I've got this. And what does he do? He sacrifices and provides them with the skin those bloody skins teaching them look to me I'm going to provide the sacrificial lamb look to me the lamb is on his way in Isaiah chapter 9 you know the more I'm in this book i want to teach it too but it's 66 chapters Tim would have to finish it The prophet foretold of the coming of Jesus, and this is what he said: "For unto us, child is born. Look at the language here. This is huge. And the government will be on his shoulders. <laughs> will be restored back to the true governor, a governor that doesn't abuse its people. It's huge." And he will be called the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Oh, the greatness of his government. Look at the words and peace. To his peace, there will be no end, it'll be over. And it will be ours. He will reign over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God commended his love towards us. While we were yet sinners, lost Ephesians 2, children of wrath by nature, incapable of, of doing anything to make it right. While we, he later says enemies of him, he reconciled us, restored us to him by the death of his son. Therefore, Romans 5, 1 declares, having been justified by faith, present tense, possessive, we have peace with God. We don't have to beg for peace from God, gang, for peace with God. We have it. The sin barrier that separates us from him is removed completely and forever. We now have total access to God, and I think more importantly, God finally has total access to us. To finally be to us what we always wanted him to be, but he couldn't be because sin separated us from him. And so now he can offer himself. Remember that great announcement God made to the angels, to the shepherds through the angel. What did he say? First words out of the angel's mouth. Do not be afraid. You know, there's no no peace wherever there's any fear. I bring you good news, glad tidings, joy, and peace from God. Wonderful. He is our peace. And because he's our peace, there's no need for us to be anxious anymore. The great creed of Philippians, fear not, for I am with you. Isaiah 41, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. You know, as I get older and my hands get weaker, I kind of like that. Psalm 21, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He, He casts back the darkness. And I trust, you know, the darkness can be terrifying. His perfect love, first John 4, has cast out all fear. And now Philippians 4, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, guards our hearts and our minds. And so Ephesians 6 says, put on that armor. Put on the shoes of peace. Oh, that's not good enough. We're talking about armor. We're talking about armor in a historical context. The historical context is the legions of Rome. And one of the things that the legions of Rome had that other people didn't have, they had sandals with nails in them. So when it says stand firm in battle, they stood secure. Mm, Good picture. Stand secure in the peace that our God has given us in Jesus Christ. We may not feel right, but we are. We may feel guilty and shameful. They are false feelings. They are not aligned with the truth. We bear no guilt. We bear no shame. We have become a new creation, made righteous with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. So completely, the Colossians chapter 2 says it. Unfortunately, so many men will not teach it. We stand perfect in Him. Amazing. That's amazing. Not only that, because that's true, we can now have peace with ourselves. We can look in the mirror and not have to detest ourselves anymore. Even when we fail, look in the mirror. I I just did a stupid thing, Lord. That doesn't make me stupid. I like that. Lord, I I feel really guilty and ashamed. It's not the truth. It's not who I am. Little Lauren Daigle song. You say? You heard it? Hope you have. My feelings, my thoughts say one thing, but God says another, and it comes down to who you're going to believe. I feel so alone. He says I belong to him. So I have peace with God. I now have peace with myself. And now I can start to have peace with others. Relationally. Ephesians 2. He is our peace. That's not what it says. It says he himself is our peace. Peace is not a concept. Peace is a person. His name is Jesus. And so when he comes into our life, he brings his peace with him because it's impossible to separate peace from him. Does that make sense? So it's not just peace with God, it's the peace of God inside of me, filling me, ready to burst forth from me so that I can extend peace to others. Huge. You do realize, don't you, that the number one greeting in the New Testament from any apostle to the people they were writing to was grace and peace to you. You have peace. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But you've got it in the person of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says he's broken down the dividing wall, the barrier that separated us, so that he made one new bond of peace, one new man. Now, in the context, that's talking certainly about the Jew and the Gentile. Because the law given to Moses separated us from the Jewish world. If you happen to be Jew, it separates for you from those nasty goyim, the Gentiles. All that's gone. There's one bond, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one body. And we're all in Christ, members of that one body. And you know what I think? It goes beyond just applicationally, just the Jew and the Gentile. Run with me. I think it applies because we were lost and we all had these misconceptions about what would be right in the eyes of God. We all have these little unwritten rules that are so very different from each other. And in an applicational way, he's saying, take all your little rules by which you became distinctive and unique and get rid of them. All those little things that you clung to to make you better than someone else. And that, so that others could not enter into your life. And they did it to you as well. Get rid of all of it. We're all on one level playing field, gang. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus is peace. And if he looks at you and extends peace to you, then I'm going to extend peace to you. And you need to extend peace to me, even if you don't like it. (laughs) Even if I provide reason to not like it. (laughs) It's the same for all of us. You know, in Ephesians 4, listen to what he says. Be diligent. He doesn't say to get peace. He says to preserve the peace we already have. That's our job. We have it. Let's preserve it. So the unbelieving world can look and say, I want in on that. I want restoration to other people. I want restoration to God. I look in the mirror and I want restoration to what I was designed to be. I want the peace that I see you people have. I want the honesty that you people have. I want the intimacy that you have. And all those things produce power, and I want that power that's in your life. There's one arena in which we don't have the peace, gang. It's peace with the world. Still under a curse. I mean, you can't go lie down with a lion. You're going to be dead. Can't let your little kid go play around the cobra's den. But that day's coming. He already made it good on his first promise, gang. You know, I talk to people and someone say, "Ah, oh, it's been 2,000 years. Shut up. With all the love I can muster. He already made good on his first promise. What makes you think he's not going to make good on his second? Just because it's not in our timetable doesn't mean he's not going to do it. I mean, I want it to be in my lifetime. I'd rather not die. I want to be like Elijah, get translated up. That's awesome. (laughs) But it might not happen. So it's still a future. And so I want to read to you the future as we finish. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his waist. And the wolf, future tents, will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed together and their young ones will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and the nursing child will play at the hole of the asp and the weaned child, the little toddler will put his hand on the adder's den. There will not be hurt. There will not be destruction in the holy mountain of God for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then we've got to get the last verse. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who will stand for an ensign of the peoples. To him shall the nations seek. And his rest or peace will be glorious. Oh, baby. Lord, hasten the day. And until the day is hastened, May we embrace what we have. I mean, it's Christmas coming. Unwrap the gift and enjoy it. And experience peace with you, peace with ourselves. And especially peace with each other. To your glory and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Amen. All right, that does it for today's message, but before we let you go, we have a special announcement from our Family Ministries Director, Emily Sule. Here's Emily. Hey, you guys, I am super excited to tell you about an opportunity to continue to study more of what we just finished hearing about. If you're interested in looking more into this week's topic, Grace Life has put together some Advent Reflections. Each week, we hope you find something for everyone in here. There's no pressure to do it all or any of it, but simply use it as it helps. There's scripture readings, devotional questions, music and movie suggestions for all all ages, a mission opportunity, an Advent experience, and a suggestion to share on social media. Find the link in our show notes. All right. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Uh, We'll see you back again next week as we continue that series. And don't forget this Friday, another edition of Conversations in Grace. We hope to see you then.